Who or what powers you today? Who or what powers me? I could be a pastor and I can be looking for the power, if you will, in all the wrong places. You can be a good church member, a good church goer, and be looking for power in all the wrong places. Who or what powers you today? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Oh, gracious Father, a merciful Savior, King Jesus, and we come before you today just contrite in heart, humble in spirit, a longing for a move of you in this place, longing for a move of you in our community. So much evil and so much wickedness around us. So much darkness, oh God. But God, we're reminded through your word, the truth. It's impossible, God, that the darkness can overcome the light. It's impossible. What a joy it is to know in our, in our hearts today, in our minds, that no matter how dark the culture gets, the light of the gospel will always prevail. So Father, whatever baggage we've brought in the room today, whatever scars, whatever troubles, whatever weariness, broken relationships, financial challenges, a health crisis. Oh God, I pray we would know right now that you care for us, God. And your word commands us that we are to cast our cares upon you. So right now, all over this room, God, we, we take whatever is troubling our, our heart today, whatever's consuming our mind, and we just heave it on you, God. All over this room. Because we know you care for us and you love us. So, Father, we open your word. Father, I pray that you'd speak in a powerful way. I pray that you'd move me out of the way that all that we would see is you and your glory and your fame and your praise. And that, God, I pray you'd draw many to the cross of Jesus Christ today. So God, would you prepare our minds? Would you grab a hold of our hearts? Would you move in power all over this room? Oh, Father, in such a way that we'd leave here today just proclaiming as we leave here that we've been nourished, we've been fed spiritually, and, and we can shout with a smile and a skip in our step that surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Oh, God, I pray. Give me divine unction. And to you be all of the praise and all of the glory. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus, whose grave is forever empty. We pray this in His name, and His name only, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, looking at verses 3 through 4 today. 
And as you're turning there, the, the title that I believe the Lord gave to me is in the form of a question. And it was boggling around inside my, my head, and I know that's a frightening thought and a frightening visual, but it was boggling around in my head all week, and the question is this, who or what powers you? Just process that for a moment. We all need a form of power to live this life. We're looking for power. We're looking for something that would enable us. And we could even go deeper on this. Perhaps we branch out and ask, you know, what is it that we're looking to fulfill us? What are we looking for that would perhaps in the midst of the scars of life and the pain and the troubles and the heartache, we're perhaps looking for something to take the edge off, to dull the pain. Who or what powers you today? Who or what powers me? I could be a pastor and I can be looking for the power, if you will, in all the wrong places. You can be a good church member, a good churchgoer, and be looking for power in all the wrong places. Who or what powers you today? I thought about that, and I was processing that, and then this thought occurred to me. It's totally possible to fake being a Christian. But it's impossible to fake being a true follower that's fully devoted to Jesus. And I believe in that thought we could, if we had the time, could parse out drilling down where our power is coming from. See, our culture says this, your power should come from within you. The Bible says this, the power should come from within the Holy Spirit. And we're getting these mixed signals all over our country today. Dig deep. Self-actualization. Just think about it. Meditate on it. That, that you have the strength within you. And, and that's just a lie from the pit of hell. That takes me back to the Garden of Eden. When Satan's proclaiming, he's saying, you will be like God. Boy, those are attractive words, aren't they? Satan didn't say, you will be like me, Satan. He says, no, you'll be like God. Boy, he's so crafty, he's so shifty, he's so deceptive, and he baits us, doesn't he? He lures us, if you will, that you will be like God. And all this culture, all week long, the 10,080 minutes that we have, if you live a full week, we're bombarded with these messages, these, these me-focused, me-centered, me-monster, enemy of self, planet me, planet universe me. And the Bible, when I open it, as I open this glorious book, these scriptures, I, I just see a different message. It, it doesn't say, please yourself. It doesn't say, what's in it for me? It doesn't say, what am I not getting? I'm going to pitch a fit here. What I see in scripture over and over and over, when I read it, it says to John, talking to me, it says, John, go crucify yourself. Who or what powers you today? I believe in the Scripture, we're going to see very clearly what should. And here's what God's Word says. And you've got to remember, as I'm about to read this, that the enemy's all about counterfeits. Just keep that in the back of your head. Everything the enemy is about is a counterfeit. Everything that he does is about a counterfeit. So it's, it's false, it looks good, he's a cosmopolitan of light, but it's not true. And so he's, he's cloaking it, he's cloaking it in darkness and what he wants to do as we begin to read this, he's going to try to play on my, my thoughts, your thoughts, and he's going to say, hey, John, John, 
what charms you most? What charms you most, John? Well, here's what God's Word says in that regard. 2 Peter chapter 1. Three through four. His divine power has granted to us what? All things, make a note of that, all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through, this is so good, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. By which, verse four, He has granted to us His precious and very promises. Like, let me read that one more time. If you've got an amen in you, probably a good time to slip her in. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Why? Why? Here it is. So that through them you may become, what? Partakers of the divine nature. Having, here it is, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful nature. We read verses 1 and 2 last week, and if we read them again, you would be like, wow, that's amazing, that's incredible. That was a full course, four-course meal, right? Wait, (laughs) here comes the dessert in verses 3 and 4. Look at this in your Bibles. I read from the ESV. Let's unpack this together. Verse 3 says this, His divine power has granted to us, so, so His divine, so Who's His? That this is very important. Well, His is referring to Christ, to Jesus. So His, Jesus divine, God-like. He's, it's the deity of Christ. He's fully man and He's fully divine. Do you believe that today? If you do, raise your hand. Do you believe that today, that Jesus Christ is fully man and He's fully divine? Power. It's that Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. So, so just back up for a moment. We ask the question, who or what powers me? Who or what powers you? And, and right here, I mean, here's the cliff notes. By Christ, who His deity, fully man, fully divine, there He is, the God-man, God incarnate, who gave His life willingly through His dynamite, His power, has done what? He's granted. Look at this in this verse. He's granted. He's given. He's bestowed to us. How many things, church? How many things in this verse? Let's try this one more time. Church, how many things has He given us? So, if you take the word all, let me ask a question rhetorically. How much is held back from all. He gives us through His power. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know the struggle and the heartache and the pain. I know this though, that every person in this room today is struggling on some level. That there's some element in pain in all of our lives. You cannot be immune from this. We're in a sinful, broken, fallen, depraved world. It's part of where we live. That there's pain. It could again be relational in your family. It might be relational at work. It might be financial. It might be health. Maybe for some of us, it's literally all of the above. You can't escape it, but what you can do, as we're going to learn here in a moment, that you can be more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus the power, the dunamis, the dynamite, that in the midst of your pain, in the midst of the brokenness, you can have hyper-victory, not apart from these things, but in these things. He's granted us, church, all things. We don't need anything else. We already have it. 
that pertain to life and godliness. Godliness. You could substitute this word for godliness, holiness. Holiness. Which, by the way, will manifest itself through obedience, through attitude, through motive, through action. How? By the power and blood of Jesus. It's amazing how this works. See, by his power, by his strength, in that verse as you look in your Bible or on the screen, this is what's so cool as I'm looking at it right now, you could say this, we persevere. We persevere in life, not because our, our circumstances you know, get better. We persevere whether Jesus goes our way or not. If we only persevere when Jesus goes our way, we're probably not going to be persevering a whole lot. But we persevere in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the fight, if you will. For you today that are in that and you realize it and you recognize it, you go, I'm going to dig my heels in in a healthy way. I'm going to press into Jesus. I'm going to cling to Jesus with everything I got, every fiber of my being. And I'm going to be that man, be that woman, be that student, be that child that says this, I know that my Redeemer lives And whatever he brings into my life is for my good and it's for his glory. And I want to advance the gospel. And if it means he brings suffering and pain into my life, bring it on, Jesus. Because we want to see people throw themselves, throw themselves at the foot of the cross so that they would have redemption and be healed and walk in freedom and have the true peace that only comes from the Prince of Peace. And his name's Jesus. Where are you getting your power? From your job? From your checkbook? We might ask it like this, who or what owns you? I've learned this in my own wicked brokenness that what I devote my time to and my life to typically begins to own me. And Jesus goes, man, (laughs) I just want to own you. I want to own you in such a way that I'll give you peace and joy and contentment that, that nothing this world could ever give you. He grants to us, He bestows upon us through His knowledge. It's not surface level. Right there it is. It's not surface level. It's a mourning over our sin. It's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Through this knowledge of Him who's called us, He said, I'm going to bid you to come forth. I'm going to call you, is what the Bible says right here. To His own glory, His own doxa. That's where we get the word doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's the Greek word doxa. That's where we get the English word doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Do you believe that today, church? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And sometimes we don't understand this, but sometimes the blessings in our lives actually come through the furnace of suffering. That there's blessings in the midst of that, in the trials, in the heartache, in the pain. Matter of fact, the Bible says this. It says, consider Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners, lest you become weary and discouraged in your own souls. What's that mean there? It says this, look to Jesus, man, in the midst of all that you're dealing with and the struggle and, and just the nonsense of life. Look to Christ. That's a great mantra, isn't it? That'd make a great t-shirt, wouldn't it? We can trademark that and I'll retire, amen? Look to Jesus. I mean, you're saying everything, just look to Jesus. See, church, hear this as we roll into key number one. Just before we do key number one, though, I want you to listen to this thought. The key to the Christian life, if you're here today and you're going, look, Give me the cliff notes on this. Well, here's the good news and the bad news. There aren't any shortcuts. 
When you hear people that are able to recite Scripture, I can assure you that that's been going on perhaps for decades, feeding their soul, like drilling it deep, day by day by day by day by day by day by day. Because when you are squeezed, what's in you will come out of you. There aren't any shortcuts, but I will say this. The key to the Christian life is simply this. Get to know who God is. Open this book and begin to find out who He is. That's what will begin to turn your life around. I mean, we do this all the time, all week long, right? We're on social media for nine hours a day. We're playing video games. We're watching football. We're, we're doing whatever. Those things in and of themselves aren't bad. But no, we spend hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of doing things that won't nourish our souls. <laughs> and then we wonder why our life's a wreck. Doesn't make any logical sense. Get to know who God is. That's why key number one is this. Everything that we need to live a godly or holy life, you could say, is encapsulated in the power of the person and the finished work of King Jesus. Let me say that one more time. Key number one, everything, everything that you need to live a godly life is encapsulated in the power and the person and the finished work of King Jesus. The goal, hear me clearly in this church, the goal today is not for you to try harder. That's not it. I know a lot of people that are trying harder in their own strength. The Bible is very clear that when we abide in Jesus, when we are tethered, welded to, riveted to King Jesus, that through that connection, through that resting, through that abiding, that you think on Him all the day long, that you saturate your mind and your heart and your soul with the glories of God, that you just focus on His riches and His goodness, and you marinate in it, you bask in it. As you and I do that, think of this deductively. I'm probably not going to be thinking about things I shouldn't be doing, amen? But the less I'm in this, the less I'm in this glorious book, I get pulled away, I get snatched away, you get pulled away, you get snatched away, and we begin to do, think, and say things that are not of the Lord. Romans chapter 1 says it like this, verse 4. Romans 1, 4, write it down. And Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in what church? Power. Thank you. According to the spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me read that one more time. And He, Jesus, was declared. He was pronounced. It was a declaration. This wasn't one of those, hey, psst, you know, we're just going to whisper about this. No, it's a definitive declaration. For you, the true believer today, this should be your declaration right here. That Jesus Christ, that He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was executed, he went into a grave. But on the third day, on the third day, the grave could not hold our king. And on the third day, he ran out of that grave. He reigns and rules at the right hand of the Father today. For those that give their lives to King Jesus, you are now a son, you are now a daughter, you are now an heir to the throne. That's a hallelujah shouting time moment. I, I don't think we really understand this. I don't think we understand the sacrifice. I don't think we understand what actually happened for the true believer. That when you give your life to Christ, He doesn't just like band-aid your life back together, cross His fingers, cross His toes, cross His eyes, crisscross applesauce, and hope this thing works out in your life. No, when, when He comes into your life, He makes all things new. Colossians says it like this. Chapter 1, 9 through 14. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Wow. Asking that you may be filled, here it is, with the knowledge, there it is, the knowledge, the knowing of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in how many good works? Every good work. And what with this knowledge of God? Just remaining plateaued, remaining lukewarm, remaining apathetic, indifferent. No, what does it say right here? Increasing. Do you get this? Ongoing, increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all dynamite power. How? According to His glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. And then what do we do? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And 13 and 14, get ready. Here we go. If you're not excited, I pray you will get excited right now. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. For the true believer, there it is. That Jesus Christ and my wickedness and your wickedness today has, has taken your life and my life and He doesn't just do this cultural Christianity thing that we see going on everywhere, right? No, for the true fully devoted follower of Jesus, what He does here is He delivers them. He, he takes them. He conveys them from, from darkness to light, from the grip of Satan to the power of God, from death to life. That's what Jesus does. He is in the resurrecting business for those that truly give their lives to Him. Titus Chapter 2, 11 through 14, Titus 2, 11 through 14. Listen to what this says regarding this. Everything we need is encapsulated in the power of Jesus to be a holy person. Titus 2, 11 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared. Okay, awesome. We love that. Bringing salvation for all people. Hmm. Does that mean all people are saved? No. Training us to do something, though. See, it's doing something. It's working. The Word of God is just not something we read and we kind of go, okay, is that almost over with? Good, I'm going to go to lunch, on with my life. No, there's a purpose. There's a purpose with God's Word in our lives. And right here it says this. Training us. It's training us. Training us through His grace to renounce. To literally disown. Disown what? Ungodliness. Worldly passions. But to do something. See, as it trains us, it transforms us. When you get trained by the Word of God, you're being transformed by the Word of God. The training is transforming. And right here you see this so clearly. It trains us and transforms us to do something. What is it? To live a self-controlled life. Galatians tells us there, not on your notes here, but Galatians tells us this, that it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Upright and godly, holy lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope. Is anyone else waiting for the sound of the trumpets? Is there anyone else besides me that can't wait to get to heaven? I can't wait to get to heaven. And the greatest thing that's going to be in heaven is going to be Jesus. But I'll tell you, for me personally, I think the second thing on my list is that I will never sin again. We're waiting for this blessed hope. See, when you address the question of who or what powers you, you will also address the question of what you're waiting for. When you begin to address the question of who or what powers you, you will begin to address the question of what you're waiting for. Like, what are you expecting in life? What are you looking forward to? Looking forward to retirement? Looking forward to a big house, a nice car, a bank account? What are you looking forward to? Well, here's the question. Whatever you're looking forward to, I would ask this. I would ask Dear one today, brother and sister today, whatever you're looking forward to, when you get to that place that you're looking forward to, will God be there? Are you in the place of God might be the question. 
Because what we're being powered by is what we're also waiting for. We're waiting for our blessed hope. Verse 13 of Titus 2 the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And what did He do? Here it is again. Who gave Himself for us to redeem, to, to purchase us back from the lawlessness and, and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for His good work. Did you see that? That when Christ truly redeems someone, you will see a person who is changed. You will see a person who often their countenance begins to change. I mean, there's a countenance change on them. There's an old phrase that goes something like this, that the eyes are the window to the soul. And when you come across someone who has been redeemed, who has been regenerated, you will see something different in the eyes. So many people make the profession... They occasionally check in with God when things aren't going well. There's no real surrender, no true living for Him. And then right here in God's Word, it says this, for those that are truly in Him, He makes you His possession. He owns you in a healthy way, in a good way. He's the master. We're the willing servants. As we learned last week, we just turn our lives over to Him. We know that's where true joy, true contentment, true peace is found. And through that, right here in God's Word, it says this, that we are His possession and we become zealous for good works. You say, well, I'm not saved because of works. Amen. But if you read Ephesians chapter 2 very carefully, you will see right there through all of that great Scripture that even in that chapter it says this, we are saved for good works. That our works are an evidence of our salvation. That it gives evidence that our life has truly changed. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Someone recently wrote this, and it greatly impacted me. If you're suffering today, my heart goes out to you, number one. But I pray this will encourage you as you seek to truly address the question, who or what powers you? And this is what they wrote And I quote, so I had a thickly tied scroll of tough lessons to learn, chiefly this, God is good when things are going swimmingly, and God is good when plans are upended and life is a mess. Every moment of our life is a link in a chain of loving, holy purpose. I see now what I couldn't have seen then. But first, some suffering was gifted to me, a relentless burning off of my will, replaced with devotion to only God and His will. No escape clauses permitted. Remember this, when God declines our requests, He is also inviting us to abide when He simply says, trust me. Wow. Who or what today powers you? Who or what are you waiting on in life? What are you hoping for? What are you looking for in life that, that if you just get there? You know, the only place to get is into the arms of Jesus for total surrender. And that's why in this final verse, 2 Peter, he begins to weave this so beautifully. And this is what he says in verse 4. 
by which He has granted to us, there's that word again, granted, bestow upon, give to, His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is so fascinating to me as I was studying this. Look at this for a moment in your Bible, verse 4. Let me read it one more time. By which He has granted, again, same word used there in verse 3, to give to, His precious, His costly, His of great worth promises. Magnificent. His commitments to you. His promises are true. No matter what you're dealing with today, God's promises are true. Amen? Like whatever you're dealing with, whatever pain you're in, whatever the furnace of suffering is today that you're in, and you're like, God, I want a detour. I want an escape hatch here. Give me an exit ramp. And for whatever reason, in His sovereign plan, He's leaving you in the furnace of suffering. Here's the great news that you and I must preach to ourselves today that His promises are precious. His promises are true. And here's what happens. I wrote down four things about His promises. Number one, I wrote this down. His promises bring eternal life. Amen? His promises bring blessings in your life. His promises also bring suffering in your life. But His promises also is this. His promise is that our pain has purpose, and it's always for His glory, and it's always for our pruning and refinement. Why? Well, there it is in the Bible. Look at this. So that through them, verse 4, so that through them, the promises of God through King Jesus, that you may become partakers. You notice he didn't say this, so that around them, so that apart from them. No, he said, through these promises. We sing that song sometimes, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God. Well, God's Word says this, in addition to all the positive promises, it says this, that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a promise. Well, we don't like that one. That's a promise in God's Word. Another promise is in this world you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, you will have a pressure oppressing together. But here's the second part of the promise in that same verse. One seems so negative to our nature, our flesh nature, but here's the glorious promise that we like to embrace. But be of good cheer, Jesus says, because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Those are promises. Yes, we're promised eternal life, and that's beyond amazing. But we have to embrace all of God's promises or none of God's promises. It's either absolute or it's obsolete. Who or what today is powering you? Where are you looking for your hope? Where are you looking for your identity? Where are you looking for your security? What are you waiting on today? Well, look what happened. This is so beautiful. That through these promises... It shows what's at stake in your Bible in front of you, verse 4. What's at stake? Well, having escaped, I love that, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire, having escaped, you got to understand this. We talk a lot about here at this church that we believe in the Holy Bible, amen? Like as I hold this Bible up today, if you were like me, and you believe that this is the authoritative written Word of God that's inerrant, it's infallible, that we stand on the Word of God, that we love people well, but we unapologetically declare the truths of God's Word. If you believe that today, will you shout amen? So because we're in agreement on that, we're of like-mindedness, we're in unity on this, here's the glorious part of this. Look at this so beautifully. We have escaped. We've escaped. Like, have you ever thought about that before? Like, we're going to have Easter Resurrection Sunday here, and, and a lot of times, you know, 
Praise Jesus for chocolate, amen? But that's not what Easter's about. It's not about the Easter bunny. Resurrection Easter Sunday is about King Jesus, about triumphing over the grave, that the grave couldn't hold our King, that that we often say that He is risen, and say it with me, church, He has risen indeed, amen? Like, we know this. Like, we're putting an exclamation point. We're not going, well, you know, I'm not really sure. No, we go, He has risen, and He has risen indeed, because we hang everything on the resurrection, If Jesus Christ is still in the grave, we are all in sad shape. But because, because he has conquered the grave and the grave is forever empty, he has conquered death, he has conquered sin. King Jesus is alive today at the right hand of the Father because that's true. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption. We have this glorious gospel message. We have this amazing opportunity to go into our neighborhoods, to go into our neighborhoods this afternoon and begin to prayer walk those neighborhoods. We prayer walk those neighborhoods. We prayer walk those houses. And we say, God, would you do a work in that house and do a work in that house and remove the darkness over there? Just begin to work, God. Just begin to work all over Chester because we believe you can do this, God. I know I believe it. You know how I believe it? Because in the midst of my still brokenness, I've been redeemed. Who or what today is powering you? Where are you looking for your hope? Where are you looking for your security? What are you waiting for today? Key number two says it like this. Through Jesus Christ and Him alone, He grants us. There's many things, but I boiled it down to three. His promises. Number one. Number two, we become partakers with Him. And number three, we escape the corruption and eternal damnation that this world offers. Let me say that again. Key number two, through Christ Jesus and Him alone. There's no other way you go, wait a minute, preacher, you're saying that's exclusive? Yes. There's only one way you can be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. You say, where do you get that from? The Bible. He grants us His promises. We become partakers with Him and we escape the corruption and eternal damnation that this world offers. Have you ever thought about this before? It really dawned on me this past week. The only thing really this world has to offer is a bunch of corruption and eternal damnation. Gee, sign me up, right? Amen. And you think about the number of people today that even profess Christ and they're still living in the world. They're going to war against God. They don't have peace with them. They've never given their life to Jesus who gives us the peace. They've made an external profession. They're not surrendered. They're not devoted. And no wonder God continues to try to get their attention. Randy Alcorn, one of our favorite authors, whose wife is on the verge of entering eternity with Jesus due to cancer. Wrote this recently. By the way, those type of things will, will wake you up, won't they? Those type of things happen and you see what really matters. Here's what he writes, husband of wife who is, unless there is a miracle upon miracles on this side, she will enter the presence of her king. Here's what he said, and I quote, thankfully, eternal life transcends the grave. This world now under the curse. It's a broken world waiting and longing to be redeemed, Romans chapter 8 and rebuilt by the carpenter from Nazareth. Amen? 
See, we've escaped this for the true believer. You've escaped the decay and the corruption of this world that has nothing to offer you but more headaches and heartache and more pain and a deeper pit and more despair and more discouragement. That's what the world has to offer. It cloaks it again. It cloaks it. It packages it into something, oh, this is going to fulfill your need. It's a never-ending pit to nowhere. We've escaped it. Literally, we could put this definition, we've escaped. We've been removed from the spiritual danger. Think about that for a moment. That when you read this right here in your Bible in front of you, the living, breathing Word of God, that when it says right here, having escaped from the corruption, you could say this, having what? You've been removed from the spiritual danger. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? But how did you get removed? See, that, that's the key on all this. Did we do this on our own? Did we go, you know what? I'm going to rescue myself. How many times do you hear that on the news? Someone gets rescued. Hey, how'd it happen? You know what? I just decided to rescue myself. And here's the, here's the insanity with that. Having lived there in Florida for so many years, we'd see it all the time on the news. Someone gets swept away in a current, right? Well, what happened? Well, they had the strength in and of themselves to somehow swim against the current. No, they didn't. They had lifeboats out there and rafts and a ton of people with lines. They're pulling the person in. They get on the beach. They're exhausted. Someone sticks a microphone and a camera in their face and goes, hey, what happened? They don't go, hey, I, I rescued myself. They go, oh, man, these, these people, they, man, they saw me. I was drowning. I literally was drowning. And they came after me. They, they risked their own lives that, that I might be set free. And you never see that person on the beach a day later or a month later or a year later or a lifetime later. You never see them jumping back into that water that's so dangerous. And yet I see this happen over and over in my ministry. People that raise a hand and say a prayer and do a cartwheel and sign a card. Man, I got fire insurance. And day by day, they're just jumping back in the sewer. You don't jump back into the sewer when you understand what you've been saved from. No, you don't. Your life is no longer your own. You just surrender everything. It's like, Jesus, take me and use me for your glory all the days of my life. I love what Romans says in chapter 8. We typically have this plastered somewhere, these two verses, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Listen to what it says here. And this is so key. Listen to this. Don't miss this. These first three words will change your life. These first three words right here will change your life. And we, help me church, no. Pause right there for a moment. I don't know about you, but I know this. My feelings will betray me. My feelings will betray me. If all we're talking about is how we feel about something. Now, I don't need to know how I feel. I need to know what I know. Tell me what, tell me what you know. I want to tell you what I know. That there's so much that I know, so much I pray that you know through the rich treasure trove of Scripture. And we know, we know what? That those who love God, this doesn't mean some happy, sappy, humpty, dumpty love. This love here is a love of total surrender, total abandon, that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who what? Are called, there's that word again, who are called according to whose purpose? Oh man, those are fighting words of the flesh, aren't they? I don't know about you, but I like my purpose. (laughs) If I get to vote, I'm like, Jesus, I want my purpose. No, it's your kingdom come. My kingdom be gone. Your will be done. My will be exterminated. Hallowed be your name, not hallowed be my name. Those that are called according to his purpose. Now look at 29. We don't often read this part. For those whom he knew, he also, oh boy, predestined to be conformed, to be fashioned, to be molded into what? The image of the world? No, to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the purpose for my life and your life. If you're a true believer here today, the purpose there is that you and I be conformed to the image of Christ in order, here's the why, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and all God's people said. 
Colossians chapter 1, 21 through 23. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated, here it is. This is such a glorious visual before Christ and after. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind towards God, doing evil deeds, self-centered deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above approach before Him, if indeed. And we like the first part, don't we? Well, that sounds amazing. I want to be presented. That'd be awesome. Time out, chief. Here it is. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. This is what we got going on today. Just shifting all around. Which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Did you catch the first part there? I love this. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. Boy, right there, you could camp out on that for months. That when you give your life to Christ, here's what he does he brings you to God. And that word there in the original, presenting, means this to be held up. That he literally takes your life and my life, my wicked life, your wicked life, and he goes, I'm going to present you that, that when God looks at you, put your name in there, make this personal, own this. When he looks at you and you've given your life to Jesus, he looks through the blood of Jesus and he sees you and I as though we've never sinned. He presents us holy and blameless, even though we know we're far from it, but with Jesus, we're holy and blameless. That's an amen moment. Because Titus chapter 3, I don't know if you noticed, but we got two points in Romans, Colossians, and Titus. Funny how that lined up today. Titus 3, 3 through 11. Look what this says here. It's so beautiful. Titus 3, 3 through 11. For we ourselves were once foolish. Once. Past tense disobedient, past tense, led astray, past tense, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. I'm not getting that, and I want it. Hated by others and hating one another. But, I love this. Don't you love the word but in Scripture? Verse 4, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He, church, say this with me, He, He saved us. He rescued us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us, how church? Richly. Through who, Jesus? Yes, through Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Why? So that being justified, declared righteous by His grace, His unmerited favor, His charis, we might become, there it is again, what? Heirs. According to what? The hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. Why? So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. Wow, powerful, isn't it? Question for you today, who or what powers you? Think about this thought as I close. How many dads, moms, grandparents we have in the room today by a show of hands? Get them high. There you go. Be proud in a good way. Let me ask this question because I was asking myself this question all week. For the dads, the moms, the grandparents in the room today, 
what are you actively doing? What are you actively doing to spiritually nourish those children under your care? They say, well, my children are grown. Well, you can still spiritually nourish them. I get it, it's different. I get it. But what are we doing? Like our children, I don't know if you know this, but the MTV generation would love to go lead our children. They would go, man, this is amazing. That was easy. They would love just to take our kids and just drive them off a spiritual cliff and just smile while they do it. Our kids are looking for something to power them. They're looking for something. We live in a culture today that is just getting worse and worse, I believe, by the day, and they're looking for something. Trust me on this. Every one of our kids and grandkids, they're looking for something. They're searching for something. And mom and dad, talking to me, grandpa, grandma, I'm talking to us that, that we have an opportunity. Like we got a great opportunity to make a generational effect. Like we can start today and we can help change the course of the next generation. Like we have this opportunity, it's right in front of us, it's right in our lap, but if we're just going to like coast from Sunday to Sunday, I pray that God would have mercy on our souls. Because what are you doing today? What are you doing today? What am I doing today that when you die, won't matter? Like, what are you doing today that in the end when you die, it won't matter? But what are you doing today that when you die, it will matter? It will matter. You're investing in souls. You're making a difference. You're inviting your neighbors. You're, you're sharing the gospel. You're, you're just out there. Wherever God is using you, and every day you get up just going, okay, thanks for another day, God. Thanks for waking me up. My eyes are open. My hair is a mess for some of you. And the reality is this. What happens is this. You're going out, and you're fighting the good fight, and you're saying, God, before I get out of bed, God, what do you have planned for me today, not the other way around? And watch God work in power in your life. Because the question for me and you today is, who really Who or what really powers you and I today? Oh, Father, we come before you and we worship you. We bless your name. God, I pray all over this room as we just think on your word, as we ponder your word. Lord, I pray right now, whatever we have in our lives, I'm talking to myself first and foremost, or whatever's in my life today that's not of you, God, would you prune me of it today? God, as we humbly come before you, we bow before you today with hearts that just desire you and nothing else. Holy Spirit, we just continue to pray with fervor as we pound on the door of heaven today. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter, and I am the clay, not the other way around. Oh, Father, as we worship you in this time, as you speak to our hearts, perhaps there's one here today that needs to just simply give their life to you. They've never truly done that. God, I pray they would not delay any longer. Delaying is disobedience to you. And you don't bless disobedience, God. Perhaps there's one here today that needs to be baptized and that continues to be delayed as well. Maybe there's one here today that's been very lukewarm in their faith. You're speaking to them right now. Holy Spirit, will you move in this place? Just move in power. Don't allow us to quench nor grieve you today, but renew our minds for the battle that lies ahead this week. Strengthen us, embolden us, and yet give us a love and a grace and a mercy for those that are around us. Oh God, we pray, shake and stir in power in this time, oh God. 
may you be glorified as we decrease and you increase. And to you be the praise. And to you be the glory. Let me pray this all in the mighty, all-powerful name of King Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.